we get to that, before I dismiss the kids, but y'all can go ahead and stand at the door. Um, I'm glad you're taking off. That's good. Claire, you can go. You can go. It's fine. <laughs> um, one of the things that is uh, uh, great, and one of the things that I want you guys to hear and know um, is um, a very simple but profound thing, and that is that there's a God. Something we tend to forget. Right? Something that we tend not to think very much on. We uh, tend to think that uh, uh, life is, uh, as someone said to me um, uh, out in the gallery between services, uh, a gerbil wheel where you're just running and never getting anywhere and there's no rhyme or reason. Well, sometimes God breaks in on those things and um, lets us know that actually there is a God. Because, uh, as we're going to start this series on 2 Corinthians, and we're going to read uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, you would think uh, that we would print that in the bulletin. But God didn't want us to print it in the bulletin. Uh, And there's a reason for that. Because I'm going to use the text that's not 2 Corinthians 1 in the bulletin to help you see... um, Something that God's teaching us in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, which is part of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Uh, Just not the part we're going to spend most of our time on today. (laughs) Uh, But fortunately, we have screens where we can actually project the right one. But we're going to use this one, too. Because it is God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. And it will help us make a point that we need to make uh, a little bit uh, later on in, uh, in the sermon. So uh, a couple of things to keep in mind. Uh, and we're going to, uh, usually when I start a, a sermon series on a book, I like to give a lot of details about the book and that kind of stuff. We don't, we're not going to do that today. Uh, we'll do that throughout uh, uh, the series. You need to know a couple of things, though. This is called Second Corinthians. We're pretty sure that Paul wrote at least two other letters uh, to the church at Corinth uh, that we don't have. Um, we're also pretty sure that uh, this church in Corinth was one that he, uh, uh, though he planted it, uh, he was the one who founded the church. Uh, he had a lot of conflict with this church, a lot. Uh, uh, everything from the way in which they practiced church discipline and to the way in which uh, they did the Lord's Supper, uh, and uh, it was a very uh, tumultuous uh, relationship. And we're going to see that as that comes through uh, what he has uh, to say to us uh, over the next several weeks and months uh, as we look at this. Um, I'm going to read to you Second Corinthians chapter 1, or, yeah, Second Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Uh, I have that text printed in my hand. You'll just have to read it uh, off of uh, the screens. Um, we're going to, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7, but we're going to focus our attention this morning primarily on uh, uh, verse 3. So this is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. So one of the things to, to note about this is uh, uh, you probably read that. You probably heard me read this, and you probably didn't think there's anything unique or anything that should jump out at you uh, in the beginning of that letter. It sounds like the beginning of all of these epistles, right? Grace and peace to you, God, our Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, blah, 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 right? Sounds the same. Um, now, one of the things, one of the problems with that is when, when, we, when we look at it that way and we read it that way, uh, we would miss uh, something that's pretty profound. And it's actually helpful for us to have printed in front of us uh, the first seven verses of the first epistle, uh, to the church at Corinth, because what I want to show you is that there's a big change here. Now, if you know anything at all about First Corinthians, you know that Paul is very disturbed about things that are going on in the church. There's immorality in the church. There's division in the church. Uh, and uh, even things like when they go to take the Lord's Supper, they get drunk. It's like a kegger. It's not like it's not like it's not like the services we have. So he was very concerned about issues that were going on in the church at Corinth in the first letter that he wrote them. But look at how he addresses them. Now, I know this is subtle, and I know it's Sunday, and I know subtlety and Sundays don't go together, okay? But stick with me on this because it's worth it for you to hear this, okay? So in First in, in Corinthians 1, Paul says this, Paul called by the will of God, to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, that you're like, okay, what's the big deal? Well, here it comes. I give thanks to my God always for you. Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He greets them, he cites to them who he is, that he's writing to them, and then he heaps the praise on them, doesn't he? Look at what he says. I give thanks for you. Because the grace of God that's been given you, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you're not lacking in any gift. He's pumping them up. What does he do in 2 Corinthians 1? He doesn't talk about them at all. He goes straight to, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. Because... There's a problem. And in fact, uh, there's a greater problem in the heart and life of this church in Corinth uh, than he addressed in the first letter. 
And and the issue is, uh, you know, as you hear that, you think about that, you think, well, what must it be that would make Paul change the way he addressed them? Now, we hear that it probably doesn't have much impact on us. But when that letter was read on Sunday morning in the church at Corinth, people would have been startled by the fact that he very abruptly did not follow convention and say great things about them before he got to the meat of the letter. He doesn't say anything about them at all. He goes straight to talking about God because they have a big, 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 big problem, a deadly problem. In many ways, a problem that may be worse than those problems that he addressed in the first letter. And you know what it is? You think, wow, what must that have been? It must have been something awful. It's the issue of comfort. You'd think, how could that have been such a serious issue for them? It's clear in these first seven verses uh, that, um, that what this is about is about comfort. What this is about is about the comfort that we have in Jesus Christ and that the source of that comfort is God. And so we hear that and we think, how can that be such a devastating and difficult pastoral issue worth spending this much time and energy on? Okay, Becky, take, take the notes down for a second. Let me explain to you why this is such a big deal. The world you live in and the world I live in is a difficult world. Now, maybe you're not suffering. Maybe you're just bored. Maybe you're just in the routine. And maybe you just have this kind of sense of disconnect from your life that your life doesn't, doesn't matter very much or you're not very productive or you're not going anywhere or that sort of thing. Or maybe you're actually, as we've already prayed today, grieving deeply. Or maybe today you're just anxious. Or maybe today you're just angry. Or maybe today you're in some kind of physical pain or emotional pain, right? What are you going to do with that? If you're a human being, at some point in time, sometime in your life, you are going to have to answer the question, from whence does my comfort come? Where does it come from? How do I get comfort? And what is it? And this is such a key issue because how you answer that question makes all the difference. Because frankly, for many of us, the answer to that question of where we get our comfort is literally, and I mean this, literally killing us. Just as it was the church in Corinth. Now, that's a startling thing, isn't it? It's a very startling thing. Human beings will do almost anything to deal with pain, struggle, and suffering. And God's not immune from that. He sees it, and he addresses it, and he answers it. And this text, ten times in these first seven verses, the word comfort is used. So God's Concerned about our comfort. He is concerned about, about human pain and suffering. He is concerned about the tears we cry and the, and the pain that we feel. The problem for us is, though, that we, 
we see that and we hear that. Uh, but for many of us, in addition to that, or maybe rather in place of that, we'd rather find our comfort in something that's immediate, powerful, temporary, and often deadly. Maybe it's mac and cheese. Maybe it's whiskey. Maybe it's pictures of misappropriated beauty. Maybe it's exercise. Maybe it's order. Right? I know that this church is unique in that we have people who are addicted to order. They get pleasure out of, I mean, their brain lights up when they uh, organize other people. <laughs> yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know who you are, <laughs> right? But here's the problem that we have with this. And this is the problem with the comfort that God gives to us. God sees our pain. He addresses that pain in, in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He addresses our pain and deals with our pain and our suffering and our need for comfort in Jesus Christ. But he doesn't force that down our throats. And so the comfort that is ours in Jesus, because you may be thinking, wait, wait, what, what is this comfort? I don't feel it. Well, perhaps the reason why you don't feel it is because you're getting your comfort from something else. Now, fortunately, what I believe about that is, is that over time, uh, uh, either that source of comfort that you get uh, that's other than the, 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 the eternal, uh, full, free, marvelous comfort that is ours in Jesus Christ, that over time, these other things that you seek for comfort, you're, you're either going to get sick of them and tired of them, and finally turn from them to be in a place to receive the comfort that is ours in Christ, or you're going to die. <laughs> this week I had surgery, and uh, I recommend that for everybody. You know, if, uh, it's very spiritually enlivening to have surgery. It really is, for on a whole host of reasons. One, uh, one is when, you know, you go in there and the nurse is getting ready to take me back to prep me for surgery. She says, do you have a, a living will or a medical directive? <laughs> uh, and I, I said to her, I'm like, I know I'm supposed to have that. And I know responsible people have that. But I didn't come here today planning to die. <laughs> do you think I'm going to die? <laughs> So I, that made sure the nurse was going to pay me some uh, mind the rest of the time I was in there. So what they do when you have a cataract is uh, a, a severe one like I had. One of the things that they do is they, they have to put you to uh, sleep briefly to actually numb your eye. Because, well, I'll let you figure out what they have to do with that. And so they give you the, the same drug that killed Michael Jackson and for... For 10 or 15 minutes, you're asleep. (laughs) 
And, uh, which I, I said that to the anesthesiologist. I'm like, hey, that's the thing that killed Michael Jackson. He's like, yeah, I'm not going to kill you. Uh, and then when you wake up from that, you can't feel this whole side of your face. In fact, my eye was taped shut and I didn't even know it. So I'm thinking, okay, they're going to take me back any minute. Well, I'm kind of in and out of consciousness. And I'm thinking, this seems to be taking a while. So being who I am, I've learned this from my wife, that when plans don't work the way you're supposed to, it's a reminder that there's a God and he has something for you to do. So every anesthesiologist working in there walks into every one of those little cubbies and says, hi, I'm Dr. So-and-so. I'm doing your anesthesiology today. What are we doing for you today? So I get to hear about what everybody's having to do. So I'm like, okay, Lord, I'll pray for that person. I'll pray for that person. I'll pray for that person. Well, I've been praying for a lot of people. And I think, I think they forgot me. And finally, after two and a half hours, they come to get me to take me to surgery. I'm alarmed because I can tell this thing is wearing off. And I know what they're about to do to me. So I'm talking to the nice nurse anesthetist about it. And I said, hey, you know, it's been two and a half hours since I got the nerve block. And she's like, no, it hasn't. And I'm like, oh, yes, it has. Look on the chart. And she's like, yeah, you're right. I'm like, I think it's wearing off. You should be fine. Don't ever use the word should with me. I'm like, I'd like you to check. Is there a way you can check? And she pulls the tape off and she says, move your eye around. And because with a nerve block, you shouldn't be able to move your eye around. Well, I'm moving it around. And she's, I hear her say, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, well, if you're saying uh-oh, just imagine, don't take my blood pressure right now because I'm, <laughs> I'm about to have a stroke. So they, uh, I looked at the nurse and I said, one of the things I've learned from my wife is that any pain, you can deal with any pain as long as you know it's temporary and it's fruitful, spoken by a woman who's been through labor. I said, so if this is going to be fruitful and productive, I'll take the pain. She says to me, pain is always bad. You should never have any pain. You should be comfortable. Right? Because here's our problem. Uh, When we read these words in this text about comfort... What we think that means is no pain. The word that's used here for comfort actually is the same word that's used elsewhere in the New Testament to be, that's translated, come alongside of. So the comfort that's spoken of here is not freedom from pain but a relationship, a relationship. 
that the source of our comfort comes not from being freed from pain, but having a God who knows us, who loves us, who's experienced pain, who draws near to us and shows us and demonstrates to us his power to overcome sin and death and difficulty. Now, that's hard for us because what we would rather think is and what we would rather believe is, is that comfort, at least when we're in pain, could, should, would come to us in the form of an answer or that pain would come or comfort would come to us in the form of relief. When, in fact, what we read and what we will see as we unpack this is, is that the comfort that God provides is a comfort that is through relationship. That's why he says that God is the God of all comfort, the Father of mercy that comes to us through Christ. And then, as we'll see in a couple of weeks, where he comes at the end and he says, if we're afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we're comforted, it is for your comfort. When you experience uh, what you experience, when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Do you see that? It's a relational thing. You're suffering, I'm suffering. I'm comforted, you're comforted. It's something that happens in the context of a relationship that we see and we experience through and by the work of Jesus Christ for us. Now, this is what makes this so hard and so difficult for us to preach on, uh, for me to preach on, and it's why Paul takes the time to write a whole letter about this is because we are people that would rather have a temporary fix, a momentary rush of chemicals into my brain that make me temporarily feel better than to rest in the fact that the comfort that God provides for me eternally is a relationship whereby he comes alongside of me, tells me the truth, walks with me, provides for me, cares for me, and leads me to where he wants to take me. You see, God wipes tears away from our eyes. He doesn't give reasons. He doesn't tell us, he doesn't allow us to settle in on the false comfort of, if I could just know why, because God's not a technician. He's a person who comes to us in love and relationship and who walks through and with us in our pain because he himself has experienced our pain. Now, one of the things that you have to see about this, and Becky, I know I've departed dramatically from, from my notes. Would you go to the slide where uh, I have uh, God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, Father of mercies, and God of all comfort? Keep going. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that, go back. That was a good one. Comfort, <laughs> comfort is help that speaks, but I think that you got the thing about the relationship. Yeah, next one. Okay, what I want you to do is to show you that what I'm not just making this up, but it's actually in the text. Look at the way 
Paul writes here. He tells us about the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in the very next line, he says, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Do you see the interplay between those two phrases? The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ is therefore the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. What he wants us to see there is, is that this God who is relating to us in and through Jesus Christ is merciful to us and is the source of all mercy and is the source uh, uh, to us of all comfort. But the comfort that God gives to us is Jesus in and through his work for us impressed upon us by the Holy Spirit. The comfort that we have is not freedom from pain. The comfort that we have is not answers to our questions so much as it is someone who loves us, who identifies with us, who walks with us and provides what we need as we need it. Listen, I know uh, that this is challenging and I know uh, that this is uh, this is difficult for us. And that's why it's precisely necessary for us uh, to talk uh, uh, <clears throat> about um, about these issues, because um, we are a people who is impatient with pain. We are a people who is impatient with difficulty and dissonance. And we will satisfy ourselves to the death with things that ultimately are only temporary fixes to our problem. So as we look and as we spend time over the next several weeks, what I hope and pray will happen is that all of those things that we rely on for comfort will be shown for the weak and often deadly things that they are. And that the cross of Christ and that the relationship and the work that Jesus has accomplished on our behalf will grow bigger for us. One last word. There's nothing wrong with mac and cheese. Okay? I want to be clear about that. Nothing wrong with it. God made it. He said it's good. In fact, he said it's very good, <laughs> especially mac and cheese with lobster. It's very good. <laughs> uh, God made grapes with uh, yeast on the uh, uh, peelings so that they would make wine. Um, those things in and of themselves are not bad and are to be enjoyed. But the fact is... The ultimate comfort that you need and that you crave is not in created things. It's in the God who comes near. Let me pray. Lord, uh, thanks today uh, for uh, your goodness and your love and your mercy. Thanks for your grace. And Lord, as we spend time over the next weeks and months looking at it and unpacking it, the marvel of the gospel of the God who comes near, who comes alongside. I pray that you would help us. Um, Lord, I fear for us that we uh, will give our lives, our money, our hearts, well, our energy to the comfort 
that things bring us and that it's killing many of us. And so I pray uh, that you would make us sick of those things uh, and the inappropriate use of those things and that you would magnify before us the God who comes alongside, who hears, who sees, who relates, who experiences the things that we experience and shows us by his life, death, and resurrection, his overcoming power and ability to comfort. Lord, you see and know our weakness and our uh, inability uh, to comfort ourselves. And so I pray by your spirit, you would bring the good news of Jesus to bear in our hearts and in our lives. So help us, we pray, uh, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. As the guys come up to take up the offering, let me remind you to drop uh, your tear off in the plate. Please don't feel pressure to give. Only give today if it's a part of your worship in response to God's goodness and grace.